This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, The Singer and His Songs, and the author is Deke Rivers, and Deke joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Deke. Good afternoon. (laughs) Great to have you with us, Deke. Well, you're going to take us back to the start of rock and roll. How it all got started. That's right. Yeah, I I was living in Australia, and... uh, and watching the transition between the, the Victorian era fading off into the distance and the, the modern era creeping in, and uh, it, w- it was an amazing, amazing, amazing event actually, because uh, all of a sudden the, the grays, uh, navy blues, and the blacks uh, of the Victorian era started to disappear from the clothes, and all of a sudden color came back into the life of, of everybody, specifically the teenagers, of course. And uh, the, the music uh, in, in Sydney, Australia at the time, back in the 50s, uh, we used to have uh, one hour of rock and roll music uh, every night on one radio station. And uh, as, as Elvis started moving a little, a little bit more of his hips, uh, the one hour stretched to two and then to three, and then all of a sudden the whole radio station daily program was on rock and roll music and and the others all switched as well and the color came back in everybody's lives so all of a sudden we had red sweaters again and and <laughs> and different colors and the crew cut haircuts and and all of a sudden the victorian era just seemed to just fade into the distance it was an amazing event um, i remember um, standing in, in in downtown sydney and uh, there was uh, Elvis Presley's uh, Love Me Tender was on, and all the one side of the street was lined with women all going, waiting to go and see uh, Elvis, and, and the opposite side of the street was, was another movie theater and, uh, and uh, displaying uh, a movie called uh, And God Created Woman with Bridget Bardot. And on the opposite side, all, uh, the lineup was all men. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Victorian era was fading. <laughs> well, when did you know that you had some talents and skills that you could be involved in the rock and roll craze? Well, I, I guess uh, uh, well, I guess my biggest inspiration was a movie called uh, Loving You and uh, a rags to riches story, similar to uh, you know here, here's me coming from Estonia. You know, Al Jolson did the same thing in the states because he came from Lithuania and became a massive star back in the twenties. But uh, for me, uh, you know, music, I, I, the whole music era just just generated me to the nth degree, and it was amazing because Australia had no record industry at all. All the records were imported. And uh, just from my own memory, when I came, finally moved to uh, Canada back in 1958, um, I tried to search down all the records that I could remember. And you know the last last one that was outstanding was a, guy, a song called "The Love Bug Crawl" by a guy called Jimmy Edwards, 
and uh, went through all the record stores in, in Toronto, and uh, nobody ever heard of it. Then when I was living in, in uh, Bellingham, Washington, uh, a little few years later, in fact, 10 years later, I was walking through uh, Freddie Myers there at a grocery shop, and uh, they had a record bar there, and I was going through all the compilations uh, discs there, and, and all of a sudden I picked up this compilation disc with all these songs on it, and right in the bottom of it was this thing called The Love Bug Crawl. <laughs> and uh, finally I had uh, completed my search. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the old records that I remembered back in the 50s, I'd finally recovered. So I've, I have a, an unbelievable collection of, of all of 50s rock and roll music. Uh, Larry Williams and uh, and uh, for, you know, Tutti Frutti and all the rest of them that went along with it. But uh, I loved the era. I just loved loved the music. The music was happy music. It was a, a, the total change from from uh, the Sinatras and Eddie Fishers and the Perry Comos and stuff. And uh, it was it was it was a, a you know a joy to joy to be alive. I mean, it was, it was just a, a a new era had just crept into the into the world and. Uh, the Victorian era just faded out, and uh, it was it was a great time. And uh, but the music industry, uh, I, I liked uh, when I got to Canada. I, I went I went into architecture because uh, that was another, I guess, uh, interest I had. And uh, the first couple of when I graduated, the first project, one of the first projects I got to do was a recording studio. And uh, the recording studio guy by a couple, a couple of guys, and one guy, Jack Richardson, was the actual producer for the Guess Who group, uh, for Bob Seger and quite a few other artists as well. And uh, so I got to meet a lot of the artists, uh, Alice Cooper, uh, John Denver, uh, uh, Harry Chaplin, uh, and uh, quite a few others. And I spent time with them and. Uh, realized there was there was a story there and uh, and uh, not that I was I was a writer at, at, of any any sense of, of 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 my my career I guess at that time I was still an architect and but anyway all this uh, information that I retrieved I, I retained in my head and they they actually flew me out to California to do uh, measurements on a, on a cutting lab for for the records back in the days of the old LPs and so on and we 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 reproduced one here in Toronto Canada in the basement of, of in downtown somewhere in Toronto but uh it was it was it was a uh, something that I, I really really enjoyed I guess the music and then when the British invasion came in uh, you know it was it was uh, a, re a sort of almost a second coming of rock and roll and uh, and it was great music, and uh, I feel sorry for the kids today because the the music today is trash. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's really different. There's no yeah, doubt. Yeah, it really is. And uh, of course, they said that about rock and roll when it went when from the big band, too, big yeah. band know, to the know. you know the rock and roll. Elvis was the devil. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I guess we're we're a product of our you know our experiences, our growing absolutely. up. Absolutely, absolutely. Those yeah. of us who grew yeah. up, and, and the same with me, grew up with rock and roll. Even though I remembered the big band sound because that was when I was just young. Uh, that was yeah. the big transition there. But you observed, you had some interest, interesting observations to see the. Uh, this music uh, for for what it created in people's hearts and minds, and and also stars were 
born, but also just because, as you put it, just because you're uh, talented doesn't make you a star. That's right. That's right. There's a lot of talented people that never become stars, <laughs> and uh, that, that's that's the name. You know, that's that's the way the world operates, unfortunately, and uh, and a lot of times being at the right time, at the right place, and all the rest of it. So. Yeah, as far as being a writer, um, you know, I my my first inspirations, of course, to to write were were strange because back in about '97, uh, I was still an architect. I've been an architect for 40 years, uh, up until 2008. Uh, but uh, I, I always had this 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 James Bond type of story in the back of my head, and uh, and. So back, you know, back in about '97, I, I one one night I'm sitting in there working on some drawings again, and and uh, I said, "Damn it, I'm going to write this damn story." You know, if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to write this book. And I started to write it. I went out and bought myself all kinds of fashion magazines and and cosmetic magazines, so that you know, if I saw somebody coming through the door, I had to be able to describe what they were wearing and and all the rest of the stuff and. And you know, I got I got to be like Frederick Forsyth, where you 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 just baffle everybody with with facts, you know, <laughs> that uh, are totally irrelevant to the story, but you know they're facts. You know, she, her dress was made by such and such studio and whatever else. But but anyway, um, so I, I started writing this book, and I, I guess it took me over a three year period. It was a twelve hundred page book. <laughs> And uh, so that, that's the one that's going to be published as two books now, The Father and the Son. Well, uh, and, the, and along the... The, the Scarlet, Star, Scarlet Saga. And The Singer and His Song was my second book. And uh, when I finished the first one, I said, well, that's, that's, that's just an overbearing thing, so I've got to do something a little different this time. And uh, so I, I wrote The Singer and His Song, which was shorter, but was, it is ultimately based on my own life, my being born in Estonia, uh, Chris Smith or Chris Wilde was was born in Estonia. He moved to Australia. I mo- uh, we moved to Australia. We moved to Canada. We moved to Canada. So it's basically following my footsteps uh, in the time frames and ex- my experiences were his experiences as he grew up and going through and uh, and then of course the 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 change in in the in the music and the the, the locations and 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 the uh, gen- generations of, of how uh, an unknown person becomes a uh, you know famous artist. You know, Australia was an accident, but uh, in Canada it became a production. And uh, having having spent time with the recording studio people, uh, it suddenly you know there was there was, there was a, a method uh, of how to achieve fame and how to succeed in in the record industry. And it was different than what Australia had, because Australia was so primitive at the time when it when when he he had his first success. There was no industry there at that time, and uh, everything was imported. So he uh, walked into a, into a, a basically a, a void uh, that or filled a void with his with his his uh, music. But he had the talent to do it. So that, that, there was a difference there. But. Uh, uh, you know, after him, there came quite a few uh, local Australian acts, but none of those have ever made it in the states. You know, they, there's quite a few of them have tried. Uh, there's a few that came over, but not many. Minute work, and uh, but some of the big singers like John Farnham and uh, 
and Johnny O'Keefe, they all tried to come over and they couldn't couldn't do it. So um, they just didn't have the have the, have the talent or they didn't have the the marketing to to put them put them across. But uh, you know the industry to me it was it was a fascinating thing because it was, it was, it was like music to me is it was like a time time frame. It, it, you know you you can always relate your own life to the music that you remember from right. that era. Right. So we, through your book, we follow the, uh, I guess, the history and the making of a star, Chris Wilde, and how he starts out in Australia, like you've pointed out, and then eventually he hits the charts in America. Right. And uh, also some of his tours. Uh, did you go to any of his concerts? And <laughs> no, no, he didn't exist. <laughs> okay, so this is this is this is fictitious. <laughs> fictitious, but it's a, it's a uh, just a a look at the music world and, and from yeah. your experiences and the Listen, people you I, met. I was, I was in Toronto and and one night uh, when I was going to college and uh, and I, w- I walked into this little bar and uh, and I'm sitting there with two other guys from my own class and we're having a beer and and uh, in walks this guy with a guitar and start you know sits about. Oh, five, six feet away from us, across across the aisle there, and starts playing his guitar, and uh, and uh, turned out it was Gordon Lightfoot hmm. in his early days. Then a similar thing happened uh, a few weeks later, and I uh, was down in, in a, again in a bar one evening, and there's a young guy comes in with his guitar, and uh, this, the place is empty, and there's about three or four of us sitting there, and and the guy starts going through, and he starts off with Kentucky Woman. <laughs> There Neil you Diamond, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before they made the fame, and but so you know, the the, the system in America w- was totally different to to um, you know the, the makeup of of how how a star achieved his goals, and because uh, 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 Neil Diamond, I think, originated originally from Buffalo in New York, and uh, as his music uh, spread through from from one state to the other, uh, you know, ultimately became national, but. Initially, when when they release a record, it doesn't go national. It, it's just local. Right. And if if the local one uh, hits it, then uh, you know this spreads across, and then all of a sudden the whole country's playing it. But uh, it's a different system. So the book sort of tries to instill that into into the into sure. the story. Well, I was I had a similar experience. I was twenty three, living in Aspen, Colorado, and John Denver sang in a bar. Right. <laughs> So I got right. to you know got to know him a little bit and yeah and watched yeah. him come back and buy Aspen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 it's a, quite a quite a different yeah. world, isn't it? Nineteen sixty nine. Fascinating. Yeah, it, 19- you know the, the, the industry is fascinating. Oh, yes. The people are interesting. Interesting. And, yes. And then when well, you and they're of, you know, you know they, they're real they people have, just sharing their talents, and of course yeah. the industry is beyond comprehension, is what it is. Right. Right, yeah. it's another world, yeah. you know, and uh, yes, and uh, what 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 it creates. Some sometimes the you know it's it's a benefit, and uh, sometimes it's not. I did, I did the uh, Aladdin Theater uh, in the casino just uh, before I I was forced into retirement. But uh, uh, the uh, opening, oh, the, uh, the, there was a brand new th- the, the theater was being re- renovated, and I I was in charge of the architect there on it, and uh, the. Uh, Opening act uh, for the for the opening of the theater was Enrique Iglesias, and the the producer uh, of the show was was an American guy, and uh, 
he and I got to be, be good friends, and uh, we talked a bit. And it turned out he he was he worked with Elvis on 140 shows in Vegas and Reno. Wow. And he he says, look, just forget about all you read about Elvis in the papers and the magazines and everything. He said, he said, you'll never find a more honest, sincere, caring individual in your life than Elvis Presley. Hmm. Yes. He said, you know, the guy was a guy was a dream to work with. He said, I have never had any, wow. never had any problems with whatever. Some was something went wrong. He never got upset, and we just sat down and worked it out. And yes. uh, he said he was. He was fantastic to work with, and he said 100, 140 shows he did with him, and uh, you know, obviously had a had a had a, a great admiration for the man. But uh, I was fortunate enough to see him myself in '72 in Buffalo uh, when he did, did came back from the, the post uh, Beatles era. So mm-hmm. it, it was quite an experience. So got to meet my hero. <laughs> Well, Deke, but, uh, we we Chris uh, Wild is, is fictitious, but uh, I had I had put in there a a concert between with the two of them, but of course uh, it never happened because uh, Chris passed away. Well, we appreciate talking with Deke Rivers. He's the author of his book, The Singer and His Songs. It's published by iUniverse. And Deke, tell us what's the best way to get your book. Uh, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, I think iUniverse have their own uh, uh, channels as well. I think if you go into Google, you'll find uh, lots of reference to my books, because I've written 18 books to date now. The Singer and Song is the first one that I published. So, uh, And there is a sequel to The Singer and Songs as well, by the way, <laughs> called uh, John English, the, the Last of the British Invasion. Well, thank you so much, Deke, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you. My pleasure, sir. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, Enter Night, and the author is K.A. Keith. And Mr. Keith joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be with you today. Well, this is an amazing first of two parts, a two-part series, this mythical world. Some call it a polycultural hero sagas. Uh, we're talking about fantasy, adventure, war, champions into deadly strife and pre-natural forces vie for mastery. Uh, it's, it's the type of work 
For the casual reader, we are in awe of the creativity that goes into this. How do you do this? Well, you just get it in your bones, and it has to come out. The story starts telling itself. But in all fairness, it was uh, two decades plus, starting from uh, bar naps in New Orleans, where I was a student, most recently writing in uh, Times Square. So when it spans two decades, you kind of got to be careful to make sure there's no inaccuracies, make sure everything kind of meshes from start to finish. Uh, it certainly has evolved over time. But after a while, the, the characters get in you, and there's six or seven main characters and a whole host of minor ones, and they get in you and they, they make you tell the story because uh, their personalities almost become real at that point. Even with this type of fantasy, there's some real basic messages, though, that I think we all can relate to, like love of one betrothed and love of one's comrades in arms and love of country and love of the divine. We all can embrace those kinds of messages. I totally agree, and quite frankly, if it wasn't for those themes, uh, the book would be flat, uh, stale-bred. You know, the fantasy genre is wide open, and so you can speak to anything, and even more wide open is an epic of any sort, and just being defined by lengthy work uh, that spans different places and times and whatever world setting is set in. So it allows you to touch on really a lot of things, and that makes it great. So the adventure travels across a variety of terrains, encountering classic cultural archetypes, uh, so to say, both fantasy and real world. So inspiration can come from travel, um, the author's travel, your travel, my travel, time in nature, relationships, real world experience. Um, In real life, uh, I was a flight surgeon in the Air Force, had some deployment time, and uh, also spent a quarter century in high volume ERs as an ER physician, which I'm still doing. And so that's a lot of human pathos I've been privileged to witness. And each person who's ever lived has seen turmoil and trial and can relate, if they wish, to many of the themes uh, depicted in the novels. The book is filled with violence and passion, but are we talking about R-rated kind of graphic, or how do you describe the violence and passion? Well, if we were kids, I would say PG, but uh, it might even be less than that now. Things have certainly changed. Yes. Um, Frank Miller's Sin City, I, I would say, is extremely graphic. And uh, if that's a 10 on a 1 to 10, this might be a 5. But it's got enough to keep you going. Similar works that come to mind would be Lord of the Rings, uh, Hunger Games, Game of Thrones. Uh, any medieval action adventure has to have warriors and warrioresses, priestess, priests and priestesses, uh, assassins, warlocks, things like this. So there's uh, some violence from that perspective, and it does have a definite military flair. And quite frankly, the um, the real pathos of the battlefield doesn't get achieved until there's a certain amount of uh, bloodletting. So there is that. In terms of sexual content, there's really virtually none. I think there's a one scene between the protagonist and his wife. They've already got three kids, and he's getting ready to go off on the adventure, and they have a night of passion. Interestingly, I've got friends with uh, young readers. It seems to be young ladies in that teenage years are really picking up on the genre, and maybe it's it's the Hunger Game thing. I don't know. So for the ones who are, you know, who have asked me about that, I said, well, just just uh, clip these two pages together and there won't be any more sex in the rest of the novel. So <laughs> there's romantic tension, but there's not a lot of graphic sex, if any. Well, let's talk about the characters. Start off with the hero and his nemesis. 
the plot starts as two infants born simultaneously are infused with otherworldly energies as uh, most ancient evil stirs, and it's a demoness, basically. One of the elder titans, uh, if you harken back to Greek mythology, before the gods of light, there's the uh, kind of the more Gnostic forces, the titanic forces of the universe, and uh, she's one of those. Anyway, she's lured a stellar being, a, an embryo star, and uh, last minute he sees she's going to lure him to his destruction. She wants his energy so she can basically be reborn. Uh, to come back to the surface of the earth and basically an evil goddess and so last minute this little entity this embryo star bleeds out his energy into the two beings that happen to be born at that moment and that's our hero and anti-hero appear on Farsinger the night and Odessi's Malgram so they've got a portion of what I call the star burn and uh, each of them has that the demoness is going to want it back from them she can uh, basically um, break free from her prison and uh, do the whole rule of the world thing. So anyways, these uh, characters, we fast forward at the start of the novel to three decades later. They're grown men. They're born into opposition, and their conflict will basically change the world. You talk about the humanity of the soldier. Is that something portrayed in your novel? Yes, fairly extensively. Um, one of the characters, uh, the main character, appear on Farsinger, is a soldier in his king's service and is basically almost retired at the time to start of the novel. He's called back into action. Um, as these heralds, these, these special people are walking around with this energy that the forces of evil kind of awaken. There's an evil empire that invades his home kingdom. There's sweeping surface wars while our uh, band of galleons kind of goes underneath to uh, stop the trouble at its source. So there's a lot of battle scenes and so forth, and uh, there's a climactic battle at the end. And it, it really is where the metal meets the meat that you see some of the inner themes of the battlefield, and these come out time and time again in the novel. And give us some examples of duty to country. Well, uh, the main character is uh, essentially retired, and uh, he's done his time uh, from his military service. He's a knight and wound up uh, being a captain of the King's Rangers. But as events stir and the kingdom's invaded by its uh, ancient rival, uh, he's called again uh, back to duty. So that would be that in its simplest form. But in the deeper forms, you can do your duty in terms of walking around in your rank and place and march where they tell you, but you can go beyond. And it's that poignant sacrifice, leaving behind those they love, but knowing that in that faraway land, the sacrifice you make is protecting the ones you love becomes a, quite a poignant thing. And what about the inspiration that comes by worshiping, as you put it, the divine? Well, I, I believe the divine lives in all of us. There's that essential human spark uh, that we all have. And, uh, of course, people who are more in touch with their um, uh, that message, however they get it, uh, they can use organized religion or they can just be a, a spiritual person. But each person who recognizes the magic uh, within them uh, can get in touch with that divine and uh, people are, are little gods that walk around. Uh, you know, we order our world, we train our animals, we produce our food plots. Humans have done remarkable things, you know. You know, you look at a species like a, a German Shepherd, there's no species like that in nature. This is, this is, this is 
centuries of people uh, working uh, with their environment, taming it, and so were little gods. And then the uh, the bigger themes, uh, the themes where it's uh, folks versus uh, horrible odds, uh, heroic struggles. It could be a little girl fighting a disease in a hospital bed, or it could be uh, um, you know a Sir Lancelot uh, fighting a dragon. But people can heroically rise up and do mighty things, uh, either with the pen or the sword, in their everyday lives. But here it's easier to portray, because we do have knights riding stallions. As we mentioned at the beginning, Enter Night is the first of two books, uh, and your second one is coming out soon. Yes, sir. Our universe has been great. The second book has been done for some time. We're formatting. Uh, These are lengthy stories traversing um, a lot of time and distance in the world um, created and so it, it qualifies as an epic probably 600 plus words in the first uh, pages in the first one and an equal amount in the second one and it's a two-part series so they'll be done after that it does it does have a sweeping uh, feel to it i guess the hope of every author especially with fantasy you'd love to see it on the big screen Yes, seeing the book on film would be um, would be really neat, but you know you you can't hold out for things like that that uh, really aren't in the pipeline, and it's not the driving force. Uh, when you write something like this, you've, it takes so long to do. It's decades of love and care and nurturing. You don't really uh, hold out for something that's so far in the future, but it does. It does lend itself to visual imagery, which is good. Really, the best satisfaction is someone coming up, and that's already happened. It's been out three weeks. A few people have come up and said they've learned something, and this is really neat. Say, well, I didn't know this, I didn't know that, and these are colleagues of mine or what have you. And even more neat would be a young reader to come up to you someday and say they learned something of the the greater themes of duty or honor or love uh, from the books. I think that's probably enough reward for anyone. We've been listening to author K.A. Keith, his book, Enter Night. What's the best way to get your book? Well, iUniverse.com is a great place to start. My website will direct you uh, to a variety of other uh, venues, uh, and that's kakeith.net. Of course, uh, Amazon will sell you the, the hard copy as well, iUniverse. Certainly, the ebook formats are awesome because you can access them anytime, anywhere. Anything from my books to Kindle to Nook are certainly uh, available and broadly out there. Thank you so much for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Yes, sir. Thank you. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to the living room a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. 
Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, The Amusing Bible. And the author is Arthur Tomashin. And Arthur joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Arthur. Hello. Great to have you with us, Arthur. The Amusing Bible. Now, first of all, this is based on a French book that goes all the way back, written in 1882. And your Bible, the Amusing Bible, as you call it, you say it appeals to skeptics, atheists, and anyone who is interested in the evolution of Christianity or has any question about the Old Testament. So let's get back to this book that you discovered that was written in 1882. Tell us about the author and the book and why you decided to translate the book into English and become the Amusing Bible, as you title it. When I was young, I, I basically, uh, my upbringing was, uh, I was born in a Christian country, uh, actually, as a matter of fact, the first Christian country in the world, which was Armenia. And I believed in Christianity and Old Testament, New Testament, um, just because everybody did, and everybody said it is true. So uh, growing up, um, I read many books, um, and I came along this book uh, called La Biblia Amusante. And since I was going to French school, I, I was able to read it. And then I found it that uh, during Soviet Union times, it was translated into Armenian. So it was a lot better for me to basically read and understand it. And it surprised me that um, it showed a lot of inconsistencies and errors in the Old Testament uh, when at that time I was actually believing that the Old Testament is true word by word. So when I had a second look at it, it just completely blew my mind. And I started kind of um, doing a little more research on it, see where everything's coming from and learned about the history. And the more I did that, the more I stepped away from Christianity and from from belief. Um, and uh, when I was in the United States, I was talking about uh, my experience and with my wife, and I was thinking, you know, let me get English version or something like that that I read, which will point out every single thing, um, verse by verse, in the Old Testament or in the Bible, uh, so you can see it for yourself, since she went to Catholic school. So, and I looked for it, and I, real, I found that there was never an English version. There is no book that is similar to it. And as a matter of fact, the New York Times newspaper of England banned it from ever being translated into English or Spanish back in 1800, which actually fueled my drive in a way, and I decided to be the one who can produce a book like that. Um, based on it, not a direct translation, since he had a very harsh language, and, and frankly, I didn't agree with a lot of points. And I added a lot of research, and it became kind of a, a, an option for people like my wife that needs to have a pointer or a book that will point out everything one by one, and uh, did my research, did my work, and created something different, but it is based on what the Amazon by Leo Texio. Again, it's a light-hearted approach, as Arthur calls it, the amusing Bible, and it does analyze the Bible verse by verse, and yes, everyone, it is a long book, because <laughs> you're dealing with the Old Testament. <laughs> you're dealing with yes, the yes. Old Testament, so it's going to end up being almost 500 pages long. 
Yeah, and I in- included um, Friedrichs. Uh, there was an amazing artist back in the day in the 1800s again in 1882. He illustrated the book of Leo Textile and printed on 1897, uh, which was the second extended version. And he included mostly Friedrichs uh, illustrations, nothing else, just a couple of sentences on the bottom. So I included those 400 of those illustrations into the book, which makes it kind of a little more fun to read. And it creates this kind of like a movie-like continuation of images, uh, kind of showing you what it may look like, what it is being said. Well, to give everyone kind of a sense of this, I'm just going to start with the first paragraph in Chapter 1, titled The Creation of Earthly Paradise. And permit me just to read this paragraph, and you'll, you'll understand where Arthur's coming from. Quote, God has always existed. In the beginning, he was alone. There was no light, and the world was nothing but him. At that time, God was called Elohim. That's how the Hebrew text of Genesis refers to him. The word Elohim is plural, meaning gods with an S, which is a very odd name for a perfectly lonely Lord. So there you can understand this this uh, so-called uh, amusing side that Arthur has raising questions. Yes, and, and I try to keep it light because the Old Testament can be very confusing and boring to read, uh, depending on which part you uh, kind of land on. And there are a lot of parts that actually get you so twisted into the conversation that for me it took many nights, days and nights to kind of sort it out and put it in columns or who's who, because there are many characters that have the same name, and it is being talked about the same, different people with the same name in the same chapter. So it can get very confusing. So, uh, so I kind of try to sort it out and add a little bit lighthearted approach, kind of like, a, you know, making it uh, fun to read instead of uh, falling asleep on it, you know? <laughs> right, and and you just, like you pointed out, and we have pointed out emphatically, I think, you just ask a lot of questions. That was what you were doing here. Yeah, I think the um, most important message would be question everything, because belief in, in a factless truth, in a way, uh, it's, not, it's not knowledge. You know, belief is actually synonymous to fall for something other than know or discover. And what I'm um, raising a question of, uh, why don't you question everything that you know now that you're at this age because right now you're the oldest you've ever been and everything that you learned throughout your life maybe you were 10 maybe you were 12 you accepted as truth but you never questioned it again we have to look back and reevaluate our beliefs and more often than not you'll find out that a lot of it that you thought it was knowledge or it was a fact but actually it was believed without a fact so, so again, uh, another just quick excerpt, and I'm going to read again. Quote, in order not to make mistakes, it is necessary to see clearly. Here, one is entitled to conclude that poor Daddy God was sitting in complete, unfurnished darkness for a trillion centuries. Fortunately, he never banged his nose anywhere in all that time since there was nothing around him to run into, not even a comfy recliner and then of course you quote Genesis and God said let there be light well what is light another question yes 
Um, it not only uh, not only doesn't talk about light, uh, but it mentions it kind of implies that light was everywhere without an apparent source, which kind of means that the sun wasn't the producer of light, but the light was created three days before the sun was created. So and then, but every day before the sun is created, it says there was a day and a night. We know that without a sun, there is no day and night. We call the day and night because the sun illuminates that part of the earth or not. And But the Bible suggests that the sun is there uh, basically to kind of mirror the light towards the earth, if that makes any sense. But the light was there just mm-hmm. because God created it. So I'm trying to kind of like not only raise the question, but talk about things that would make you raise questions. And kind of wonder about it. Right. Um, not only that, and then another thing I uh, uh, question is where where did space come from? I mean, if we know that the space always was because God was in a space, but what kind of space was that? Or we don't really talk about the stars, or the Bible uh, kind of considers it insignificant, which is uh, the whole universe is stars, <laughs> and stars are suns. And I kind of elaborate on that a little bit in the book. Well, you go, of course, from the creation to the Garden of Eden, as you call it, Chapter 2, the first honeymoon. So everything was perfect, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, It it is very interesting, and for me, it has always been funny, um, the story of the snake, the tiger snake, and the apple. So it's actually a very funny chapter, the honeymoon. (laughs) And, of course, the following chapters, the honeymoon's over, so we know what happened there. We know what happened <laughs> yeah. there. Yes. Yeah. So you, how did, did you, so did you just methodically go through every uh, book of the Old Testament? Yes. Yes, and then um, there are parts that I kind of uh, swap chapters to show that this time, time-wise – this chapter of the Bible should have been before this chapter. Because if we're talking about, let's say, King Darius, uh, it has to be this year. That's what we know from history. Even though in the Bible, the numbers are, the uh, the times, everything is like kind of mixed up and wrong. But I try to give the, the real history behind it um, through a lot of research so people can kind of have an idea what was um, being talked about. Well, and you go through, well, of course, the, the Old Testament is filled with, if, if, if I might just use this too often repre- repeated phrase, the good, the bad, and the ugly, isn't it? I mean, the Old Testament is filled with all kinds of uh, happiness and then uh, sadness and outright uh, disaster and war and uh, whole nations being wiped out. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, that's why I have the, the cover of the book I have, uh, supposedly this God, uh, wearing a rope which is all bloody. Because he orders to kill millions of people in the Old Testament. A lot of people. Including the, his flood which kills everything. Uh, but and then every time he talks to anybody, says, hey, I order you to go kill this nation. Everybody, including infants, and but just don't kill the young girls that never seen men. So keep them for your soldiers, which is such an ugly thing. Like when you really read it, even if you hear from somebody that says that, 
you will think that person is not a good person, let alone this is presented as, as God, whatever that may mean to a lot of people. I even found out people don't even question what do they mean when they say God? What do you, what do you imagine or what do you, you know? I asked this question to a lot of people and I heard a lot of people just kept either two words to say and then kind of uh, stutter or silent, which is very interesting that we don't reflect on what we think and what we, who we refer when we say God. Is this the guy that I ordered to kill a lot of people? And I don't believe that happened, but I'm just saying it is written right. as true, you know. So big and, question, who is God? Big question. Yeah, and and that, that question um, can, can mean many things for a lot of people. I heard um, an old man sitting in the sky. I heard an energy. I heard, right. uh, I don't know. And, and I always ask, if you, if you define God in any way, you already limit God with your definition. You cannot, even if you say he has a form, he's limited to that form. If you say he's anywhere, he's limited to that physical place. But we know he's only present. That means he's everywhere, at all times, in everyone, during every act. Right. That means he's nowhere, which means he's not. That just, for me, is just logical. When you look at it, the omnipresence itself takes away the understanding that God is a being. It well, may be being missed, but not not a particular being because not like an alien, you know. Um, basically, that that is an idea that a lot of people have never touched upon to see what does it mean when we say omnipresent. It means he's not anywhere in one particular place. Well, before we conclude talking uh, with Arthur, we he, again, is the author of his book, The Amusing Bible. We need to just mention, uh, we're just about out of time, mention his next book, the second volume, called The Amusing Gospel. Yes, that will be um, kind of parsing through the New Testament, again, verse by verse, but I decided this time not to include the quote, and then what I think about it, or the research, uh, because that kind of takes, uh, I think it, it can be a lot more fun. Well, I'm writing that one as a movie, as a way that, um, for example, I'm reading the quote, and, I'm, and then I'm making that into an act, into a play, hmm. just like a normal conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, for example, Mary was a little sad, and Joseph uh, was talking uh, to her in a way saying oh what's going on uh, why are you sad lately you're not talking to me like this like a movie right. in a way but and then uh, it's really the uh, context of the New Testament that way it opens your eyes and in a way you read it you're like oh this is impossible or this is funny I never looked at it this way for I want people to have a second look just to take a look they can believe in anything uh, they want and I respect that but my idea is I used to believe in a lot of things without a question. I'm trying to provide you an option. If you ever want to look at, you can find that every belief you have can be looked from a different approach, and that may, may, that may make you kind of surprised and go, aha, uh-huh, I never, never thought about it. And for some people, that can be uh, an enjoyment, for example, for me, to find something that I never thought about, to kind of find an angle that to think differently or to grow at least um, 
your knowledge about something, especially if you love the Bible, you would want to know more about it. So I tend to provide that. We've been listening to Arthur Tomashin. He is the author of his book, The Amusing Bible, again with the Amusing Gospel, the second volume about to be released. Tell us the best way to get your book, The Amusing Bible, Arthur. Um, it can be uh, purchased from uh, Amazon.com, from BarnesNobles.com, uh, iUniverse, um, basically everywhere that whatever they sell books online you can get them from thank you so much arthur for joining us on iUniverse radio my pleasure thank you so much for hosting iUniverse radio is brought to you by iUniverse the leading book marketing editorial services and supported self-publishing company iUniverse radio is produced by toginet radio radio with a cutting edge